what I called earlier economic succession plan in terms of coming up with creative ideas of how we can rehabilitate the land such that not only we are rehabilitating it environmentally, but it also provides for new economic opportunities. Hello and welcome to Energy 360, the podcast from the Energy Security and Climate Change Program at CSIS. I'm your host, Lisa Hyland. This episode is part of the Just Transition Initiative, a partnership of CSIS and the Climate Investment Funds. This week, Mzula Metanjane with Exaro Resources in South Africa and Dr. Raju with the Indian Ministry of Environment, Forests and Climate Change joined Sandeep Pai of the Just Transition Initiative to look at the role of environmental remediation and the role it can play in the Just Transition Agenda. Environmental remediation is the process of removing pollution and contaminants from soil and water for the protection of human health and the restoration of the environment. Remediation is one of the long-term just transition goals to make the land environmentally and economically sustainable for the people who lived and worked there. Here's Sandeep now to lead this important discussion. Thank you, Zira and uh, Raju, for coming to the podcast. It's a very important topic, the environmental remediation, uh, and I'm really excited to talk to you both about this in the context of South Africa and India. I will start with Zila first. So what are some of the key priorities of just transition in an emerging economy like South Africa? And how is environmental rehabilitation featuring as part of country's transition planning? So the conversation in South Africa around just transition has really been around the issues of justice in terms of firstly ensuring that we don't leave those communities and members of society that are vulnerable behind economically, socially, and certainly where we could impact on the environment such that there's no ability for those communities to rely on that environmental status for for livelihoods. So in that regard, what has been quite important is to ensuring that where coal mining used to take place, which to a large extent is the primary economic activity, is that there's economic succession planning, in that there's an economy that is locally based that can continue to support those communities. And so to be able to achieve that, it's important that we then have a conversation about the kind of skills that will be required for those new economies that will be developed uh, locally. And so education and skills programs are quite important. And uh, in order for people to be able to start new businesses, and you will also be aware of the fact that in embarking on these transitions, there needs to be science and nature-based solutions to be able to withstand and respond to, to climate change. And so making communities aware of those capabilities in that regard is important. And then the other important aspect of that is uh, as part of the skills and education is awareness of the applications of new technologies in being able to, to transition. So the combination of all of that is is quite important to to the just transition. And I've made reference to nature-based solutions. So environmental rehabilitation is at the center of of this just transition. But it's not environmental rehabilitation for its sake. It is, I think, firstly, to be able to support social livelihoods. But I think more importantly as well, to be able to provide for the necessary biodiversity 
which uh, enables adaptation and provides for resilience to those communities that will have to stay in those communities. Okay, same question to Mr. Raju. So what are some of the priorities of just transition uh, in India and how does environmental rehabilitation feature among that conversation? From my long-standing experience in Indian coal mining industry, I believe that the first and foremost priority for just transition in India or anywhere else in the world should be to bring in awareness of just transition into the minds of all the concerned stakeholders and the relevant mining and as well as the energy sectors and also at the governance and the policy making levels because uh, we, are, we should understand that very few people are aware of this energy transition how it's going and uh, how it would impact their lives their livelihoods and their, and their environment therefore first let the people in these sectors know what this transition is all about tell them how it's going to happen when it's going to happen how long how it will impact their lives, what are the problems, what are the solutions, what are the industry sectors planning to do in this respect, what would the government do. So a detailed stakeholder mapping and an aggressive stakeholder engagement program should be drafted. That is the first priority. Then, And the second priority should be to put forward a roadmap. So you should have a direction, see, how to proceed. A roadmap for implementing just transition. If you have don't have a document, then uh, just going to get lost. Different sets of roadmaps need to be drawn. It's not a single generic roadmap. Roadmap at the national level, roadmap at the subnational level, roadmap at the local level, roadmaps for different sectors like mining, power, energy, transportation, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Then the follow-up action, once you prepare the roadmap, you go for the follow-up action. Would, should be preparing an execution of an implementable action plan. So roadmap is a policy document. Next, you have an action plan and it should be implementable. And the final priority would be the most, uh, the post-implementation benefit analysis. So whatever we have done, has it benefited to the public or not? So we have to again conduct a benefit analysis and compliance monitoring plan. And uh, your second part of the query is how environmental rehabilitation should feature as part of the country's transition planning. What I tell is we think tanks and the policy framers uh, ignore to include the most important stakeholder of the energy transition process. That's not the people, that's the environment itself. The environment itself should be considered as a stakeholder. It's high time we realize that just transition of environment and its remediation are equally important, like just transition of the people. Uh, so let's also talk about environmental transition, ecological transition, mind closer transition. So there should be justice to the environment, justice to the ecology, as uh, Mr. Zila told, justice to the biodiversity, justice to the then people, of course, the policymakers, think tanks, and the government should focus more on environmental remediation, repurposing of the land, reclamation and restoration of, and upscaling the opportunities in post-mining period of the region affected. This remediation process itself would compensate for the livelihoods lost during the energy transition. See, we are, we are not aware, unless you do the mapping, See, what amount of livelihood it would generate during this remediation process. There's huge scope. In my long-standing experience, I've seen that ecological restoration, nature-based solutions, they themselves will generate a lot of livelihood opportunities. Yeah, so maybe I could echo some of what Raju has said. Quite often when a mine plan is uh, approved, it is approved with an environmental management program report, an EMPR as we call it in South Africa. 
but that tends to be quite localized in terms of really looking at the limited extent that the mine has had an impact on the environment into, and, and rehabilitating that and hoping that the rest will then catch up. But I think what we are talking about here is considering this environmental rehabilitation in the context of the whole environment, because there's been a huge disturbance to the environment as a result of introducing a mining activity, whether it be coal or anything else. And so when we talk of environmental rehabilitation in the context of the just transition, we're really talking about how not assuming that life will continue as per normal or as it was before, but rather being deliberate and considerate in ensuring that what you're doing is ensuring that life will continue socially, environmentally, and economically to be able to support the livelihoods of people who now have come to live in that, in that location. That's great. That actually is a very good segue to my next question, which is like, you know, we, we recently conducted a study where we looked at environmental rehabilitation as a subtopic for both Pumalanga and Jharkhand. And basically, we see that there is a lot of scope for, uh, you know, environmental rehabilitation, and that could create lots of jobs, but it also could become an engine for economic diversification. And we can start with Zila again first. Uh, first of all, like, can you explain to our audience what are some of the key challenges associated with environmental rehabilitation of coal mines in South Africa? And then we'll come to Dr. Raju with the same question. Now, I think it's a great question. And there, there are a couple of challenges. I think the first one is that there's almost an opportunity missed in that. And so the nearly missed opportunity is that we didn't design for this transition earlier on when we were looking at the mine, when we were designing the mines and building the mines such that when the mines get to their end, either planned or unplanned, we at least had a plan of how we would close down those mines and, uh, and, and provide for an, an alternative uh, economy. And as a result, the financial provisioning of this rehabilitation is inadequate. And, um, you know, should a mine close now, it would demand a huge amount of capital, which the mine owner would have to bear on its own. And I think the other challenge is that if you look at an era like Mpumalanga, there's been a huge concentration of mining. And so the scale at which this rehabilitation has to take place is quite huge. And so individual mines will be challenged to be able to embark on this by themselves. Government on its own would be challenged to embark on this on themselves. So I think there's an opportunity here now to turn this challenge around into an opportunity and to get into the second part of your question as far as possible economic development. And, and this is a subject of Xara strategy in as far as what we call mineral succession planning or what I called earlier economic succession planning in terms of coming up with creative ideas of how we can rehabilitate the land such that not only we are rehabilitating it environmentally, but it also provides for new economic opportunities. And this talks to the issue of land. You know, once you've exploited the resource of coal, to, in the absence of any other commodity or asset, land becomes the biggest asset that you can make use of. 
and land use from an environmental perspective, it could potentially provide for a carbon sink if you conduct agricultural activities in a way that is economically benefit, but it can also be environmentally benefit. And you could also generate carbon credits, which you could then use to raise funding to be able to reinvest in the continual rehabilitation of that land. And that can be a much more sustainable economic activity alternative to coal for those communities. So where we're seeing challenges at this point, I think when you look forward and you, you approach it in a collaborative way, uh, we're actually seeing some great opportunities to do some really creative things as part of the rehabilitation of the mine. Excellent. Uh, Dr. Raju, your thoughts on the same? Recently in the COP26 summit, our uh, Honorable Prime Minister of India, Mr. Modi, has uh, announced a very ambitious transition plan. He told, he just declared that India will bring its non-fossil energy capacity to 500 gigawatts by 2030 and will fulfill 50% of its energy requirement through renewable energy and will cut down its net projected carbon emission by 1 billion tons. Will bring down the carbon intensity of the economy by more than 45% by 2030. See, 2030 is just eight years only. And he is telling that 45% is going to be slashed down. It's roughly 50%. So by within eight years, we are going for an energy transition. So 50% is a big, big figure. Therefore, India's governing bodies, bodies and policy frameworks and think tanks have tagged fast to accelerate its energy. This is a very big challenge. What happens beyond 2030 to the societies and what happens beyond 2030 to the environments? And how would the financial flows be affected? What does the governments actually think about the people and the environment? What can the governments do during these eight years and beyond 2030? See, eight years, what's its roadmap? Then what can people and other stakeholders do during these eight years? What are the real and hidden threats, impacts of energy transition? Then what would be the stand taken by the coal-owned state government? See, in India, you have the central government and you have the state governments, which have a lot of, which gain a lot of funds. Uh, then they have the, a lot of finances through royalties and all. So are they ready? So then what legal litigations would arise due to energy? See, you have a very strong judiciary in India and they enter when your rights are uh, in print. So the judiciary may take a different step. So it's very necessary to, uh, what do you call, educate the judiciary also about this. So that's another important point. Then what are the opportunities and strengths available in the impact regions? Will the governments really provide financial support to the impacted? This is a big question. And uh, there's a lot of hype that uh, the private entrepreneurs will come into the picture and they will help and they do. And these are the real challenges. Therefore, a lot of research into the energy transition and just transition subjects need to be conducted to implement the transition pathways without much hitches. The environmental and social baseline situation is not good in any coal mining area. So uh, you will have to do the remediation measures very quickly. The problem with the coal mining in India is not due to absence of regulations, but due to the poor enforcement of the regulations. So you need to strengthen regulations and especially the compliance part. So you have you have the regulation, you have, but how about the compliance? That compliance is not up to the mark. The regulatory bodies are ineffective in regulating. The government of India's Ministry of Coal's mine closure guidelines does not match the global benchmarks and the climate change targets. There is no Mine Reclamation Act no mention of just transition, mine closure costs are insufficient. So this is one another big challenge. 
I just wanted to add a perspective to what Raju just shared with us that I think we we are approaching the topic of environmental rehabilitation from a challenge and almost saying a problem, especially in the context of just transition. But we've also made reference to the fact that it has possible opportunities in terms of a base for economic development. And what I'd like to put forward is that I think what I'm seeing is a lot of innovation developing and coming up in terms of how what is currently a problem and a liability in terms of the required environmental rehabilitation is actually becoming a huge opportunity. And the reason that is so is because what we're seeing is how capital markets are now coming forward, you know, as a result of this emergence and increasing understanding of ESG and these very issues of environmental rehabilitation through the lens of ESG, such that it's not just environmental issues, but it's an understanding of the integrated nature of environmental and social issues and the need for leadership through governance to, to understand and act on these things. So I think what Raju has presented is a very valid point in terms of the need for increased awareness of the leadership of the industry, uh, of government, of all, all, all sectors, all social partners, of the common knowledge and the need to actually be able to embark on this transition and how we need to do that. I think the conversations going forward are going to be more about the opportunities through environmental rehabilitation than actually the challenge. Great. Excellent. I think that's perfect because in the first two questions, we sort of covered about all the challenges. Uh, but now yeah. I really want to get into the opportunities part, which you just highlighted. So let's start with Dr. Raju this time. Are there some good case studies of places where proper rehabilitation of coal mines have happened? And most importantly, in those case studies, were local stakeholders consulted? Yeah. Before answering your question right away, uh, what I believe is, uh, and uh, during my long uh, association with the coal mines, uh, and also my own PhD work, see, the solutions should be need-based. Need-based to the society. And a need-based post-mining land use planning policy or a regulation. Unless the people or the society accepts your uh, what you call solutions, there's no way. For example, I'll, I'll just give an example that we have been going for, after the mining is done, we're going for the large-scale plantation deforestation, which is not very much, uh, what you call, accepted by the people. They want some other livelihood, something different. And uh, I, I don't think now this is not the forum or the time uh, to discuss my own PhD uh, work, where uh, I've done a very extensive survey, what the people needs and how it is to be embedded with the government policies and also the land capability also. So you have to look after the land capability also. And if the land is not capable and you can't just trust any remediation measure or opportunity on them. Regarding your good case studies, I feel very proud to quote my own work in this aspect. And of course, as, in, as of in India also, almost all the coal companies, they're going for good remediation measures. So even the Coal India Limited, which is the giant coal mining company, and you have the smaller companies like the Naivali Lignite Corporation, which mines lignite in the southern part of the country. It's a textbook type of a success story. So it's a complete package. What we did is we have a lot of degraded land due to mining. We have a lot of spoil dumps spread over here and there. Then we were doing earlier, we were doing the afforestation, block plantation, monoculture plantation. 
then uh, fortunately the judiciary involved in one of the as case and they told that you have to approach the pioneer institutions uh, who are masters in the subject then we approach the forest research institute which is uh, what do you call under the body of council of forest forestry research and education it is a pioneer in india as well as abroad also uh, we approach them the first thing is they prepared a road map and before preparing the road map they did a rapid ecological survey then we requested that uh, why don't you show us a model just took as one example and we gave them uh, a spoil dump and uh, further it was another study was uh, done over it the uh, assessment of biodiversity so how much biodiversity has come see the ecological restoration method what i talk here is creating something like a mini forest plantation and the commercial afforestation process you have single tier plants and monoculture whereas in this method you have a three tier plantation and the ground you have the grasses and herbs and the middle you have the shrubs and at the third tier it's for the trees and further so uh, going ahead we ourselves we have restored about uh, 600 hectares so we started with 8 hectares and we gone for 600 hectares right now on the same model and uh, spread over some various uh, at uh, i think about 300 uh, spots and simultaneously we started this uh, integrated farming system eco mining tourism and then we have the ecological parks some waste lands we have converted into transform into the ecological parks and one very good thing what i have observed is now actually in the coal mining areas people are aggressive they are not very much happy with the mining operations and all when they showcase them they accepted as if it is their own property so people's acceptance is a key to success of any environmental remediation or restoration that's great let's uh, ask the same question to zila like are there some uh, good case studies that either exaro or other mining companies have done in south africa and those were some of the good case studies of environmental rehabilitation were they done in consultation with local stakeholders so i think broadly in the coal mining industry i'm not aware of any in south africa from an exara perspective we recently completed a mine in in one of the provinces in south africa uh, through actually exhausting the ore body so there was nothing else to mine and uh, about 3 years ago we we then started a rehabilitation process as we had indicated we would in our environmental management program report and uh, that involved you know the rehabilitation of the mine dump the removal of mine infrastructure that would not be required but it happened to be a mine which was in terms of its location self sufficient and therefore it provided housing for mine employees and some of the office infrastructure we decided to keep and so we didn't destroy that uh, what i can call the domestic infrastructure in terms of houses because we we started a conversation around what could that domestic in, infrastructure if that's the right would be used for and uh, just to describe the setting for you of this uh, of this mine it's located close to the kruger national park which is south africa's national park and so it provided then for uh, an opportunity to to set up that uh, those former houses and office infrastructure for 
an alternative uh, economic setting that would be related to local tourism. And it will, it's, a, it's a mine infrastructure that was also located on community land and continued to be held by community, by community. So we were leasing from the community. And so that then required and provided the setting to engage community members in terms of what they could expect uh, beyond the, this coal mine as it had come to closure. Now, I think as Roger has indicated, it is not without its challenges because I think I mentioned earlier the, 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 the challenge of potentially missed opportunities to begin engagement early so that there's alignment on what, you, what the community wants because at the end of the day, as a mining operator, you're no longer going to be operating. So you cannot develop this future economic state based on what you think should be there. It has to be on the basis of the community that's going to live there and what their expectations are. And so we've, we've been experiencing tensions in that regard. And so the process has become a little elongated in terms of arriving at a final solution in terms of what can be developed, how it can be developed for the benefit of those communities. And so those are some of the challenges that we're having to, to deal with. But from the work that we've done so far, we feel that we've developed, I think, a, a good test case of what rehabilitation can look like, especially in the context of the just transition. But I think what is also important is that it needs to take into account the local setting rather than trying to adopt from elsewhere and adapt to the local setting. So I think that really requires that you, you engage with all the social partners to come up with, uh, with something that will be viable. Excellent. That, that is actually a very good context for our next and sort of our final question, which is how can you know, global bodies, financiers, international community support environmental rehabilitation of coal infrastructure? And how do you ensure that if the international bodies are supporting, you are actually consulting the local stakeholders? How do you actually do that process? So, so the question has two parts, right? The first part is, how can the international body support? And how can we ensure that if that support comes through, local stakeholders are still consulted? Yeah, no, thanks for that uh, question. And I think we've got to take a step back and acknowledge that what we're dealing with here is a, a huge social issue and challenge. We're dealing with people. And so we cannot expect that given the size of this challenge, we can try and address the risk to people's livelihoods without engaging those people on the ground at a local level. The second point is that I think as business, we're being called upon to really play a leading role in how we embark on this just transition in terms of enabling it and enabling it also in terms of empowering those communities that are going to be most affected. And we spoke earlier about how we will do that through skills and education and uh, such that they're able to access these opportunities that will come up from the rehabilitation of projects. Now, we're talking rehabilitation of coal mines, but in essence, it's about finding an alternative and a replacement economic activity to, to coal mining, which can be viable given the activities of mining that have taken place there. And I think this is where I made mention of, uh, of land use 
And obviously that land has been undermined or it has been rehabilitated where the mine pit has been closed. So it also provides constraints in terms of what you can do on that land. And hence, you know, the, the possible introduction of, of, of agriculture. But, uh, and I also mentioned the scale at which this needs to happen. And this is where international institutions are actually coming forward. And this was the, a key outcome of COP26 uh, last year in terms of the various alliances that have come together in terms of the Global Financial Alliance to make capital available, $130 trillion was spoken about. We saw the coming together of, you know, the global north in America, UK, Germany, France, in terms of making $8.5 billion available for South Africa, given the level of dependence on coal by, of our economy. And I think we're going to begin to see a lot of that from international community in terms of providing the financial capital required. Because I think from a people skills and development perspective, countries can do that themselves. But we need that needs to be matched by the capital that, that is required. And, and one of the key things that was spoken about in COP as well was that this has to happen from the ground up. And so engagement with a local community or a vast array or collective of communities is at the center of that. It, we cannot even begin to imagine this taking place to any degree of success without the involvement of those communities. So you're going to see the coming together of local communities and international communities who will bring the capital and the expertise in terms of how to empower local communities such that they embark on, on the transition themselves. Great. Thank you to both of you for this really excellent conversation. Thanks to Mzula and Dr. Raju for joining us today. For more about our work in this area, visit our website, justtransitioninitiative.org. You can find more episodes of Energy 360 wherever you listen to podcasts and at csis.org. As always, thanks for listening.